we don't need that many active managers to get prices set correctly or at least the best estimate of the right price. We certainly don't need 8,000 mutual funds and 10,000 hedge funds to do it. Maybe we could get by with 10% or less, so 90% of the industry could certainly disappear and investors would certainly be far better off. BAM Alliance Director of Research and author Larry Swedro is on fire today on Your Money, Your Wealth, exposing what he calls the never-ending stream of marketing BS from Wall Street about active management, why he thinks dollar cost averaging is a dumb strategy, why 90% of the industry could go away, and more. Yow! Also, Joe and Big Al discuss five mistakes to avoid in retirement and the latest on the DOL fiduciary rule. Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. So, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now because I don't want to talk about it. Okay. But the DOL, because we, the, <laughs> this show is all about information. <laughs> This the people DOL. turn to your so money or wealth for right. breaking news, Hal. So let's explain. Department of Labor. Yeah, the, the DOL, DOL seeks 18-month uh, delay on fiduciary rule. 18-month. 18-month, a couple years. So we've had this thing where the uh, advisors, uh, an advisor who's supposed to help you and me, whoever, with retirement plans is supposed to be a fiduciary. And uh, now there's been a lot of um, fighting, I guess, over that ruling. And so you're saying they're the, even the DOL says they're going to delay it. I guess so. Phase one of the DOL rule took effect June 9th. Um, it requires advisors and agents to act as fiduciaries, make no misleading statements, and accept only reasonable compensation. Does that, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. Still, opponents are far more concerned with phase two rules that establish a class action right to sue. That's what they don't like. They don't want to be sued for not giving you good advice. I guess so. Yeah. Without the latest delay, uh, the BICE, B-I-C-E, what's yeah. that? The best interest contract exemption. That sounds right, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to look it up, the BICE. It's, it's I like know, it's best interest something. contract. Contract? Yeah, for sure. Exception, I bet. Exception? I think. Instead of exemption? <laughs> <laughs> I don't See, know. Alan, I we always work as a fiduciary, so I don't even. We don't, I mean, even we don't need, have to. We, we don't need to worry about bice or rice or right. mice. I don't care. We, we're going to give you the best advice. That we're fiduciaries right. and that already, but but a lot of the industry is not, and that's that's what's surprising, Joe, to a lot of people. I think. So, um, right now, it requires significant disclosures and a signed contract with the client. That contract forms uh, the basis for litigation liability. So, removing the class action lawsuit from the BICE, best interest contract exception, I think um, it's exception. is a good possibility. Yeah. Um, so, basing, uh, this is Campbell, uh, Bradford Campbell uh, said this. Okay. Um, uh, based in his opinion on statements that the DOL has made so far, if the class action right isn't scratched, it will cause problems in the courts he predicted. So the delay will uh, make even more likely the DOL and the Securities Exchange Commission end up working together. Um, so... Okay, I don't so know. There was some argument there too. Is why is the Department of Labor involved versus the Securities and Exchange Commission? Yeah, well, that that isn't a reasonable argument, I suppose. But sure. I mean, what do you think? Do you think this should be delayed eighteen months, or, or maybe the SEC should come out with something since they're really the governing well, body? Well, here's my here's my opinion. I think the cat's already out of the bag. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. I think there's a lot more information and education on it. I, I remember we started Pure Financial Advisors ten years ago, and a lot of the messaging that we would talk about. Um, was based on kind of the foundation of how we established Pure Financial Advisors. I mean, there's a reason why we are called Pure right. Financial is because we just give pure advice. We try to eliminate a lot of the, the criticisms and conflicts. And so, you know, we, we would be in meetings with clients and we would say fiduciary and they would be like, fiduciary, what? What's what? That? Yeah, what yeah. the heck is that? That sounds good, but what is it? Right. And so I think today, um, fast forward 10 years, um, I, I think there's a lot more information education out there for the public which is a really good thing. Yeah, and if you don't know, fiduciary, as it relates to an advisor, what it means is the advisor has to give the best advice possible for you, not the best advice that's going to help the advisor with the commission and so forth. It needs to be the best advice for you. Yeah, but I still think that 
a commissioned product, you could still act as a fiduciary. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree I mean, with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as long as it's the best solution or yeah, product yes, exactly. for, for the client. Yeah, and, and it's and disclosed. That's, and, right. But right now, uh, a lot of the industry is under the suitability standard, which simply means as long as the product is suitable for the client, I can I can sell it to you, right. which it may not be the best one. And that's the change. It, it's now under fiduciary. It has to be the best one, in at least in your opinion, right? right. I mean, that's subject to opinion, of course. But if there's if there's a product that's much better for you than the other one, and you're sold the other one because it's a higher commission, then that can be a problem under this new DOL rule. Sure. So I, I mean, I don't think it's you know we're a fee only financial planning firm. I mean, we don't accept commissions, but um, I've been in this business almost 20 years, and so I've seen all sides of the business. And you uh, you have uh, you have in in your past life sold products where I there have. were commissions. Yes, because it, the fee only was unheard of. Yeah. And I had a very short stint doing that as well. Sure. In between my CPA practice days and getting into financial planning, I had a short stint where our firm did that. And um, so it's it's not it doesn't have to be horrible. Right. Uh, it, it depends upon the advisor that you're getting. And, and on the other hand, we know, as in indus- any industry, I'm not necessarily calling out ours as solely, but there are going to be people that take advantage of, of clients. And, of and this is an attempt to try to curb that. Exactly. You know, and um, it, it, if I had a choice, what I'd rather work with a fee-only advisor versus a commissioned, you know, um, advisor, right. I'd probably choose the fee only, right? Because I would feel a little bit more comfortable that that person in, you know, there, there, there's no barrier there that, hey, I'm paying this individual a fee for service. Yeah. And hopefully that service is worth the value that I'm paying. And fee only, it would be synonymous with fiduciary, right? Could you be fee only and not be fiduciary? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, maybe. Yeah, maybe, huh? I don't know. Well, I'm, it's all for interpretation, I, I guess. I suppose, yeah. Because let's say you and I have a very strong belief of what good financial planning is, what right. good tax strategies are, what um, how a, a portfolio should be invested. Right, which we've tried to articulate over the last 10 years. Right, and it's, it's not, not doing a very good job. <laughs> maybe 10 years from now, we'll be really good. We, Keep listening. We'll try. But there could be, let's say, a, a, a fee-only fiduciary that has an investment philosophy or investment strategy um, that is not necessarily you know in line with what we feel is the best way to manage assets right you know they could be doing all sorts of you know you know derivatives or options or you sure. know m- more uh, sophisticated strategies that you and I um, and our team members and and um, our partners have researched in research and in, in shows that there's very little value there it sounds sexy but it might not necessarily produce the results that you might think it does yeah and, and um, of course, so I mean are yeah. they are they fee only sure they, they might be just yeah saying hey I'm gonna charge you a fee and I'm going to do this, you know, crazy um, investment scheme. I mean, right. I, I guess scheme is a little bit kind of a hard right, word. Right, but uh, options, derivatives. So there's a good example of, 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 a, of a strategies where you can make a lot more money than what we might recommend, which is a globally diversified low-cost portfolio. On the other hand, you can lose a lot more money, too. And right. since we talk to mostly people that are retired or close to retirement, it's, it's like they don't really want to gamble with their retirement nest egg. So those kinds of strategies are not necessarily appropriate, usually, for that age group. Right. In our opinion. In our opinion. Someone else's opinion could be totally opposite, and that's fine. That's That's why we live in the great old USA. And you get to pick. Yeah. Right. You know, um... You know, they could be, you know, trying to tie markets. You know, getting out. All oh, right, what's going on in North Korea? Right. What's going on with the president? You know, hey, let's get out of the market now. Um, you know, and which I think a lot of people might have a little um, anxiety at this yeah. point. This week has been a little bit volatile, to say the least. Yes, it has. Um, you know, all, not just markets, just just, <laughs> just life. general life worries about <laughs> the length of my life. Yes, exactly. Especially we're on. We live in San Diego, and. Uh, we're close to the target zone. Oh, come on. Well, I mean, Guam and Hawaii. I am are... not worried at all. We'll get those, whatever. I'm We're, not going well, there. Well, he said he can hit Chicago. So if he can hit Chicago, he can hit San Diego. I knew I shouldn't have even brought that up. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's kind of the latest. I know everyone was tuning in to Your Money, Your Wealth just to just hear our, yeah, just to the, hear our, our bit on, on, the, on the, the DOL. Yes, exactly. I'm pretty sure that wasn't happening. I'm sure you're right. Southern California.
Virginia, are you on a smooth, well-paved road to retirement, armed with a good roadmap and clear directions? Join one of our certified financial planners for a free lunch and learn in San Diego or Orange County and learn how to pave your road to retirement. Visit purefinancial.com lunch to register for one of these free events, lunch included. Learn about investing for your future, generating retirement income, retirement plan distributions, and how to minimize your income taxes. Get on a good road to retirement. Visit purefinancial.com lunch to register for a free lunch and learn in San Diego, Brea, or Irvine. That's purefinancial.com lunch. Alan, it's that time for our good friend, Larry Swedro. I love having Larry on the show. Well, he's been on the show multiple times. I, I do, too. And I, I know he's kind of fired up today. we got some good stuff to talk about, right? Just, yeah. Well, he's always fired when up. When is he not fired yeah, up? Yeah, true. Good Larry, point. welcome back to the program. Thank you. And um, I, it's a never-ending stream of marketing BS that Wall Street puts out, so I'm never short of material, guys. <laughs> That's good. The fun is exposing it. What is the interesting question of why do people write stuff that is so easily exposed and makes them look bad when you do that? I think, for the most part, most people probably take it as, like, gospel. Yeah, they don't know, and then they don't read the rebuttal. They don't even know that it was bad. Well, that's that's one explanation for sure, but uh, that's why I, I exist, right? Is, uh, <laughs> to play the role of Toto in The Wizard of Oz and expose the man behind the curtain. Yes, right. Well, that's that's perf- a perfect analogy. <laughs> now you guys got a new nickname for me. You can call me Toto, right? You know, it's, we, we could have never called you a dog, but you, you called, okay, we'll go with that. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So what do you got for us this week, Toto? Well, there was a, an article by Jeffrey Hussey, who happens to be the global chief investment officer at Russell Investments. So that's a pretty big company, right, Russell? Yeah, they, they advise directly on over 40 billion of assets. You can find that at Morningstar.com. But they're actually a much bigger influence because they advise on hundreds of billions of dollars of assets run by institutional uh, money uh, programs like endowments, uh, etc., and uh, pension plans. And so they're really a big influence here. And he wrote this piece, which is called Active, Passive, and the Low Return Imperative. And he makes the case, which I'm sure we all agree with, that today's valuations for stocks are higher than historical averages. And that predicts uh, in general, you should expect lower than historical returns. It's not a guarantee of that, but that's the likelihood. And, of course, bond yields are way below their historical averages, which virtually guarantees you're going to get much lower than historical returns on bonds. And so he says lots of people aren't going to be able to make their goals uh, because they need a higher return. And so he says the way out of it is active investing. Uh, so what do you guys think of that idea? <laughs> we, we think it's crazy. <laughs> but what you, you, I think, do a really good job articulating why. I mean, I maybe start out with passive versus active. But I mean, I, I think it's even more than that, because I think this is the problem is right now you, you hear in the media, Larry, it's like, well, markets are at all time highs. What we're, we're probably going to go to a war with Korea. Interest rates are at all time lows. They've been this low. How are you going to create yield? You got 10,000 baby boomers retiring and blah, 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 blah. And most people don't have enough saved, so they need to figure out a way to create the income. And of course, let's write an article of how do you create higher yields and you got to be smarter than the market, so hire us. I mean, I, I think that's the whole marketing play, isn't it? Agreed. Well, that's one of the ones. And he offered three ideas to support his argument. Of course, he says uh, that indexes can't beat the market. And of course, we agree. And if, therefore, if you want to have a better chance of outperforming, you should use active management. Of course, anything that gives you more than a zero chance of outperforming is good right. from that perspective. But let's remove the curtain and see what does it do to your odds of underperforming the passive benchmark. And active is really bad from that perspective. And I would point out the following. So instead of uh, using active strategies, let's say you chose to use Vanguard's index funds for the last 15 years. On average, their ranking put them at 21, which means they outperformed even before we consider taxes. 
79% of actively managed funds, which means if you went from active to passive, your odds of uh, outperforming the active just went way up because you went to 79%. But DFA funds, the ones we both use, did even better. Their numbers were 10% average ranking. So you had a 90% chance of outperforming versus a 10% chance of underperforming. Which odds do you like, the 10 or the 90, Joe? I mean, uh, you're, you're, this is so good because I think we focus on, all right, well, outperforming the market, and then it's like, well, what's your alternative? And then you hear, all right, well, let's say, just say if I want to buy the market, you're not going to outperform it, but you have a 90% chance to outperform everyone else. That's it. That's the magic. That's why we have to give people the right perspective. It, the way I think about it is this article is just like the, the street con artists who use uh, you know means to try to shift your attention from where they're doing you sleight of hand, if you will, like a magician. To, so you're not focusing on what's really going on and can see, you know, how they've hid the, you know, the coin or whatever. And so we need to give people the right perspective. Larry, sometimes some people will think then, I'm just going to invest with the 10% that beat right. the market. In fact, even some advisors will say, we've got the, the, the secret screens to figure out who the best advisors, who the best investment managers are. We'll just, we'll just show you them, and then you'll outperform that way. Well, you know, that's obviously true, and you and I would certainly do that for our clients if we had that secret sauce. Unfortunately, there's no evidence that anyone has them. Sure, you can invest with the 10%, but there's no way to know ahead of time exactly who they're going to be. Question for you here with our listeners is that, you know, there's a lot of kind of doom and gloom in a sense going on. We got a little bit more volatility, but I think... And we talked about this in the past, but I think it's good to just to refresh our listeners, is that if you look at valuations here in the U.S., right, some people will say that they're high. If you take a look at P.E. ratios or the, the Schiller ratio, um, and then you have mar- – and then that's all you hear in the media is markets are at all-time highs, all-time highs. What should investors, do you think, should be listening to, and what should they be doing, in a sense, with their overall portfolios, hearing all this noise, besides ignoring it, right? That's the first thing, uh, is to ask yourself, are you likely to come out ahead by paying attention to that noise? And the answer is definitely not. I just uh, uh, did a little piece I wrote up. It has not been made public yet. So it asks the question that lots of your clients are probably asking, and that's why I wrote the piece. I was getting this question. With valuation so high, aren't I better off waiting if I have new money to invest, let alone engage in a panic selling, which lots of people probably have been doing? And there was a recent uh, study done uh, showing uh, that you know, the problem is when you wait, okay, we know there will inevitably be a, let's, a correction. Let's say we'll define it as 10% in a bear market of 20. Uh, so if it's going to come, and the odds are great, by the way, if based on history in the next three years, at some point we will see a correction of at least 10%. The odds of that happening are 56%. So people say, well, shouldn't I wait? And if I do, the, it turns out you will get a 10% benefit. The problem is that that doesn't happen necessarily from today's level. The markets can go up, say, another 15 20%, then get that correction, and by the end of the 10 years, you're now behind an average if you delay investing. What do you feel about dollar cost averaging? Because it's my, a dumb my strategy. Because if you need to be in the market, you need to be in the market. And you know, dollar cost averaging, you know, new money's into the overall portfolio. I agree with you. And I think because you could miss on, you know, um, wow. significant run-ups and so on. Well, here's an interesting thing, uh, guys. Uh, there was a paper addressing this question about 50 years ago with Professor Constantinides at the University of Chicago. And he asked this question, which is better? And he gave a very simple, intuitive answer and showed that it must be true 
that not timing and investing immediately must be better. So I'm going to walk you through the simple logic to help your listeners. So, Joe, uh, why do you invest in stocks? Because I want a higher expected rate of return than cash. And what's the magic word, the most important word you said in that phrase? Expected. Expected return. Are you guaranteed to get that return? No. Higher return? No. No. Okay. But is it tr- And so you, but why do you get that higher return that is expected? What's the reason for it? I'm taking on risk. Right. And so stocks are, are they always riskier than bonds? Are they, I would say, depends on the bond, but yeah. Yeah, in general, say safe treasuries, they're always riskier. Yeah, of course. So that means all the time, if you wait a day, you're giving up an expected risk premium that must be there, right? Mm -hmm. Every day you wait. And so therefore, the right answer must be, unless you have a perfectly clear crystal ball, you should invest and avoid giving up that risk premium. It's very simple math. And the research shows exactly the same thing. Unless you have an incredibly accurate timing mechanism, uh, you should avoid doing that. Nobody knows what's ahead for investors, but Larry Swedro's book, Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett, offers bedrock investing principles that can help you profit in today's shaky markets. Right now, it's available for free to Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Just click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get yours. Learn how to think like Warren Buffett and build a well-designed portfolio based on solid evidence and your highest interests. Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett by Larry Swedrow. With a foreword by Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get your free copy. I do want to come back to Russell because I haven't uh, finished having fun with them. Well, let's blow them up. <laughs> let's do it. Right. We want to we want to blow this uh, one up a little bit more. So one, they mentioned two other things in this piece. And one is that they say active investors could target their exposures, you know, much better, and they can be dynamic in their asset allocation, meaning we'll jump to small cap stocks when they do better and cash when it does better and then value. Well, unfortunately, there's no evidence that that's true because I just gave you earlier the evidence on Vanguard and DFA funds, which engage in no dynamic allocation, and they outperformed in both cases the vast majority. But so then I asked the question, well, the average active fund doesn't do it, right? And the average active fund far on the form. But what about Russell? So I looked at their funds for the last 15 years and compared them to DFA's and Vanguard's funds, okay? And when I compared them equal weighting, creating a portfolio, there were three cases where they had similar funds in the same asset class. Russell's three funds, a portfolio would have returned 8.2%. DFA's three would have returned 9.1%. So DFA wins by 90 basis points. And Vanguard's fund, they actually had four cases where they were similar, and Vanguard outperformed Russell by 1.1% a year uh, compounded. So Russell clearly isn't showing any skill set there either. And then I did one last test. There's a regression tool that's available to your more sophisticated clients on a website called Portfolio Visualizer. And I took their five domestic funds uh, and looked at to see if they were adding alpha on a risk-adjusted basis. And by that, we mean counting their exposure to small caps and value stocks and momentum. And the average alpha of the five funds was minus 1.7% a year. So that means they are not adding anything. No, they're not. They're subtracting big value, and yet they have the unmitigated goal to write a paper saying how good Active is and implying, of course, you ought to invest with their strategies. And then I did one more thing. I keep a track record of Barron's annual rankings of mutual fund families. And two years ago, uh, after 2014, so the 2015 ranking, out of all of the mutual fund families that they had a 10-year track record for, so there were 48 of them, guess which one finished in dead last place? (laughs) Russell. Russell. Now, this year, so I checked back. 
And I looked at this year, and they did manage to move up slightly. They were now 48th out of 53. So the average active fund we discussed is miserably, and compared to that low benchmark, they do miserably. Yeah, but, you know, they're going to say it's cyclical. This is going to turn around. <laughs> Today, Russell's managing, I told you, $41 billion. Two years ago, when I last looked at Russell, they were managing $47 billion. The markets have clearly gone up quite a bit, so their assets should have grown quite a bit over that period, and yet theirs are down instead of being up. So investors are clearly recognizing that they're getting a bad deal here. So maybe there's more than one toto in the world. Hey, well, one last question for you, Larry, is that there's a, a big shift I would say, over the last, I don't know, 10 years, um, of getting out of active funds into more passive-type vehicles, such as you know exchange-traded funds, index funds, smart beta funds, and so on and so forth. And so with that shift, I think now a lot of active managers might be saying, hey, well, the pendulum is going to turn back to us because so much more money is going into a passive where you know no one's necessarily managing that. You're just buying a basket of stocks with a certain characteristic where we have analysts that are basically taking a look. When do you think, do you, do you ever think that pendulum would shift if more and more dollars went to more of a passive type approach? I should hire you to be my straight man. I actually just wrote a paper on that question the other day. I, if you'd have called me and told me, I would have wrote it a while ago. You know? uh, so first of all, I would encourage your readers to pick up uh, The Incredible Shrinking Alpha, which actually addresses that question. Uh, it's a book my co-author Andy Birkin and I wrote. Uh, uh, and the answer is, while we've had this trend over the last 20 years, uh, when I started in this business over 20 years ago, indexing was about 1% of individual money and about 15% of uh institutional assets. Today, that number is about 15% individuals and over 40% for, uh, for institutions. So there's clearly been this trend that you identify. However, during that period, if you buy their argument that you just made, that with this trend to passive, it should become easier for active management, then how do you explain the fact that 20 years ago, about 20% of active managers were generating statistically significant alphas over the long term? And today, we have several studies showing that it's down to 2%. It's actually getting harder and harder to outperform, and we explain why in the book. Let me add this. Fifty years ago, how many mutual funds do you think existed, uh, Joe? Fifty years ago? Yeah. Um... I'll give you a clue as a starting point. There's something like, I believe, seven or 8,000 today, and there are, by the way, about 10,000 or more hedge funds. So with that as your benchmark, how many mutual funds do you think existed? I don't know, a thousand. About 150. Okay, <laughs> really? See, and you set me up. Yeah, he was setting you up. Totally. <laughs> yeah, the hedge fund industry was nation. There were hardly any. And yet, even in that environment, when the, the competition was much easier, because there were all these suckers, these retail investors who weren't sophisticated and could be exploited. So you could exploit these people, and yet, even then, the numbers were maybe 20 or 30% of active managers were outperforming. So the markets were reasonably efficient. So that, told, that tells us we don't need that many active managers to get prices set correctly or at least the best estimate of the right price. We certainly don't need 8,000 mutual funds and 10,000 hedge funds to do it. Maybe we could get by with 10% or less. So 90% of the industry could certainly disappear, and investors would certainly be far better off. Maybe a few less mansions in Greenwich or a few more for sale, uh, but the average investor would be far better off. You know, and uh, just to wrap this up, I love the analogy is that, you know, with Wilt Chamberlain, you know, when, when Wilt played whenever, how many years ago, you know, he scored 100 points and he averaged about 36 rebounds a game. You know, the average, you know, the best NBA player last year averaged 16 rebounds a game and no one's ever come close. You know, they, someone's came a little close, but not really to 100 points. And then if Wilt played in the NBA today, would he be as dominant? 
And I ask a lot of individuals that, my students that I teach in you know, public uh, speaking arrangements that I'm in, and most people say, no, I mean, he was a really good player then. I go, why? What, I mean, what, what, what happened? I mean, because the competition has built so much, and then now it's not necessarily Goldman Sachs going after the retail investor. It's Goldman Sachs competing with, you know, J.P. Morgan. And so, you know, the level of sophistication and information and education and everything else in between has made this, this game of trying to pick stocks and looking at the diamonds in the rough and only picking those you know it's it's almost extinct for that matter yeah well i told that story uh that exact one in my book wise investing made simple i steal a lot uh, of stuff from you larry <laughs> that's larry swedro folks etf.com is where you can find him he writes great articles thank you so much for joining us for even more useful information, visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to access white papers, articles, webinars, and over 400 video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and much more. It's a veritable treasure trove of information just waiting for you at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. If you need more help, you can always email us at info at purefinancial.com or just pick up the phone and give us a call, 888-99-GOALS. That's 888 888-994- Six two five seven. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, five mistakes to avoid in retirement. What do you make of this? Employee Benefit Research Institute says that 60% of American workers feel confident about having enough money for a comfortable retirement. Yeah. 60 yeah. Seems a little high, doesn't it, based upon what we know? And uh, the author of this is, a, is an investment advisor. He goes, and frankly, based upon the people I talk with every day as a financial advisor, that number seems high, which you and I would agree with. Yep. Rose-colored glasses yes. is what that's called. But there are some mistakes that we are making as we get close to retirement, and that's what this article is all about. The very first mistake that this author, this is Josh Leonard... He says, here's five mistakes to avoid. Shooting for the stars. What he means by that is when the market is up as it is currently, although last week it wasn't as it actually went down a little bit, people with a moderate risk portfolio often voice disappointment that they're only getting 7 or 8% rate of return. Maybe they have a golf buddy that tells them he earned 18% last year or some neighborhood barbecue someone bragged about getting 14%. Um, and then you start thinking, why am I only getting like six or seven or eight. And then what do they do? They sell and then they try to get into something else and then they buy high. Right. And then they realize this is not getting them the expected return that they thought. So they sell that and then they buy another investment that's high and then they sell that. And then they're wondering why they have such a miserable investment experience. Right. And then there's a market correction. Because they're all in, right? 100% in the market. Well, yeah. Or let's say that I'm behind the eight ball in retirement. It's just like, okay, well, here, I only have 200000 I need to make this 400000 in five years. So I need to get a very high expected rate of return on my assets. So they're taking on way too much risk, and they don't understand the impacts of those risks because all they're thinking about is the return, not necessarily the downside. Right. And then guess what? The downside happens, as you just said, and now they're they're done. Yeah, they're down the the last down market was in 2007, 2008, where the the U.S. market went down approximately 50%. So if you had a million bucks, now you got 500,000. Yeah, but that's, if they were all in. If they were all in. Exactly. I hear that crap all the time, too. I don't know. I'm thirsty today. But it's like, (laughs) you are. You you know? But here's what's, this is what drives me nuts. It's like, all right, well, oh, yeah, your portfolio is going to drop 50. Yeah, if you were all 100% in stocks. (laughs) True. You're talking about people like us on the radio that try to scare folks. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. Yes. And the thing is, but here's here's why I brought that comment up. It's because when you're getting a global, globally diversified portfolio rate of 6 or 7 or even 8%, and everyone else is getting what seems like 15 it's like, well, you're thinking, well, this, this doesn't work. work right? Diversification doesn't work, so maybe I should switch to something else. And next time you hear someone say they're getting 15% or 12% or 10%, Ask for their statement. 
Yeah. Look at what the hell they're doing because I'm telling you what, they're probably BSing you. Yeah, and you know what? I as a as a former tax preparer, I know they're BSing you because I got the tax returns. Right, because one stock probably did that, but yeah. then they had ten others that blew up. And I saw their stock where they got twenty percent or forty percent or whatever the number was. That's legit, yes. But they forgot to tell you about the five other ones, the right. last twenty percent. I mean the, I mean this all boils back to what are you investing to begin with? Why are you investing your money? Is it for growth? Is it for income? Is it for legacy planning? Is yeah. it for retirement? Is it for call? Um, is it for you? Is it for charity? Is right. It for, yeah, the right. kids later. And then you back it out and say, okay, well, what expected return do you need? Is it 4%? Is it 6% to do your goals? Yeah. And then they're shooting for something higher because of the greed factor. Right. And I think that's the key. That's just exactly what you said, is figure out what rate of return you need and then figure out the safest portfolio to achieve that rate of return. Right. Because a safer portfolio is going to be less volatile and less sensitive to the downsides of the market. And, and so, as you said, if you need 4 5 6%, why not devise a portfolio that's designed to earn that rate instead of 10 or 12%? Because with a 10 or 12%, you're going to be taking a lot of risk. Now, on the other hand, we see this a lot of times where people, they're in their 70s, they've got plenty of fixed income, and they're they're basically saving for legacy for kids. Right. And the kids aren't probably going to get the money for 20 years. So why not have higher expected returns, which is more volatile because you can, it doesn't matter so much. Right. You get that rule of 100 or whatever, you know, take your age minus 100. That's how much money you have in stocks and bonds. That is yeah. just I was, so ridiculous. I was just asked that at a dinner last week. What? Uh, t- two weeks ago. Week and a half ago. What, you were having dinner with like a friend or a neighbor? Or yeah. something like that, yeah, and they were asking what the yeah, what, what, what do you think of the the hundred rule? Did you slap them? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was nice. I, t- I told him why that's not a very good rule, and I gave him a couple examples, just like we're doing right now. Oh, oh you sat him down and said, "Well, here, we this were is sitting how you, down." Did you say? Yeah. Did you say, "Please don't ask me work questions while I'm trying to have a dinner"? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm nicer than that. Oh, God. Yeah, that's what you would have done. I would have shut your mouth. <laughs> if you want to talk sports, I'm eating. Yeah, <laughs> but you could you sports. See this? It's called a meal. Uh, we yeah. are in a restaurant. Sports. We are not in my office. Cars. What else do yeah, you like well, to talk yeah. about? Uh, you you think I talk about cars? <laughs> oh, no. My gosh. You talk about your Jaguar. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Second one, uh, second mistake in retirement, I think you'll agree with this, is ignoring taxes. Because taxes don't stop when your paycheck does. <laughs> it doesn't. Wow, you just set me right up, didn't you? Because uh, re- retirees often underestimate uh, how the lack of a tax-efficient plan can affect the taxes that they pay. Well, yes. Um, I, I think because most, most individuals will definitely pay very little tax, if any, in retirement. Yeah, and explain why you make that statement. Because most people don't have any money saved. Right, so if you don't have any income... In- income, you're you, not going to pay a lot of tax. Yeah, if you got, if you have no savings and no pension, just Social Security, and, and if that's your only income, your Social Security is going to be tax-free. Right. And so, and that's, unfortunately, that's probably at least a third of retirees are living solely on their Social Security. And then you'd look at another third, right? They have less than $100,000 saved. Right. And so their, the income that they generate from that is very low. Very, because unless they blow it out on one year, yeah, right. and then now yeah, they have tax now, for now one year. Now they're in the third that has Social Security. <laughs> right. Then they're back to the other third. So I, I think when... What, what about the other third? The yeah, top well, third? No, those people have a lot of um, planning to do. There's a lot of consideration of what they should be doing with their money, how to mitigate the tax as much as they possibly can, uh, because that will be one of their largest expenses. But yeah. The problem is, is when you listen to um, the general media, or if you read the papers or a- anything else. I mean, they're 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 trying to communicate for the masses, right? Right, and so the masses, yes, you will be paying lower taxes, and so this rule of thumb kind of came about is that you put money into a retirement plan, you save money in taxes today, that's great, and have all that money grow for you, and then you'll be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. And like I said, that is true for two thirds of the population. But the the other third, no, they they have a problem uh, because they they hear okay here's the rules of thumb right let's save into the retirement accounts which I'm not telling you not to but you just don't want to be like have your blinders on in a sense to say all right well I got a million bucks two million bucks or whatever that you have inside your 401k IRA plans uh, trust me you don't have that much money 
because every dollar that comes out of there is taxed at ordinary income rates. And if you're trying to replicate your paycheck of what you're comfortable with, well, the, the likelihood of you being in a lower tax bracket in L and I's experience is we find that that is not necessarily the case. I would agree with you, Joe. And, and what we find is for people that have saved, uh, they tend to save more of their assets in retirement accounts. And by the time they retire, then it's Social Security. Some people have pension plans. And then they got their IRAs and their 401ks that are all taxed at ordinary income rates. And then some people have savings outside of retirement, and they've got those invested in high-income producing you know, vehicles that is also ordinary income. We see that too. But how often do you see someone with a very large portfolio outside of retirement accounts? You, you know, you took a. Not, it's not common. It's not common you, unless they own a business. Yes. Right? Stock yes. options. Yes. Right? Inheritances. Yes. Or real estate uh, I transactions. I can agree. Those are the four that we see. I, it's, it's hard for people to save a lot of money outside of retirement because it's accessible. Mm hmm. Right. And so uh, people complain about retirement accounts because saying, well, it's locked up, it's tied up and everything else. I go, well, there's there, there's reasoning behind that, because as humans, we're not good with money. We're just not. And if, if you could go to your checking account and or a brokerage account and say, hey, send me some money and not necessarily worry about a 10 percent penalty or ordinary income tax and everything else, it's a lot easier to spend that money versus a retirement account. No, I'm going to hold that for later. So it's difficult for people to to systematically save outside of retirement accounts. It is. And so as a consequence, people get to retirement, the ones that have saved, and they don't have any tax diversification. It's all it's all ordinary income tax from Social Security pensions and from their IRA and 401k. And it's like, if you could kind of switch things around a little bit, if you could get some money into a Roth IRA and have tax-free income, or to the extent that you do have money out of retirement, you know how to invest that tax efficiently, it makes all the difference. Speaking of taxes, we're told the biggest tax cut ever is on its way, but the president and GOP remain divided on a number of key policy questions. How might income tax, estate tax, and business tax change? Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download the white paper, Tax Reform, Trump versus House GOP, to find out. Are your tax strategies at risk? Get year-end tax planning tips that can help you stay on track in the midst of uncertainty. Download the Tax Reform white paper to find out more. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. We were talking about five mistakes to avoid in retirement. The third one is not knowing how much money you'll need and not adjusting for inflation. And the people that we talk to anyway, it's like, maybe it's better than one out of 100. Maybe it's one out of 50 has actually done any kind of calculation to figure out how much money they'll actually need in retirement and how this is going to roll out. And the computation itself isn't isn't really that complicated. Like we talked about before, it's, it's looking at your retirement spending, what you want to spend. It's looking at your fixed income, comparing those two numbers, and you probably have a shortfall. And the shortfall needs to come from your own investments, from your own savings. So take that shortfall, multiply it by 25, or divide it by 0.04. That's the same number. And you'll at least have an idea whether you're in the ballpark. And of course, this works best if you're right near retirement. If you're 30, this makes no sense at all. (laughs) If you're 30, save. Save, 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 save. Oh, boy. What... um Inflation, though, yeah, you know, it's that is the that's the where tough one. blows people up. That's the tough one because we have a tendency to think, all right, I need a hundred thousand a year for retirement, but we're thinking in terms of today's, today's dollars, dollars, not realizing that in twenty or thirty years that number is going to be two hundred thousand. Yeah, but then you show someone that they, they won't believe you. They say that's ridiculous. There, there's no way. Yeah. I'm going to be spending one hundred fifty grand. There's no way a utility bill is going to be a thousand dollars a it's month. It's like, yes, it is. <laughs> Because what was it 20 years ago? Right. They go, well, yeah. And then sometimes you get them thinking then. Right. I mean, what was, all right, so everyone driving their car right now. All right. For those of you that are driving, how much is the car that you are in right now? Okay. Yeah. So just think about it. What did you pay for your car? Right. And then if you are over the age of 65 years old, (laughs) think about now, all right, how much did your first home cost you? All right. Is well, there any, you know, uh, are those numbers similar? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I'm thinking my own case. Now, I'm not over 65, fortunately. But I, can, I can say... <laughs> Thank you for that. I, uh, I can say this. The last car that I bought was more expensive than my, the home my parents bought. Well, that's two generations, Al. Yeah. What but, was the, how much did your first home cost? 
My first home cost, it was a condo. It cost $117,000. $117,000 in yeah. Southern California. Correct. Okay. Yeah. What is, okay, 117 grand. And real estate prices don't necessarily grow um, as high as market, right? Or inflation. But 117000 that same home today would cost you what? Well, I would say I'm just. 122000 <laughs> Probably went down since I wrecked it. No, <laughs> no, probably three fifty. But I, I mean, I do know this. I, I, I can give you. Real... What year was that? In the eighties? Yeah, eighty five is when I bought it. Yeah, I don't know what it would be, but I do know. I know exactly <laughs> the home I'm living in now. <laughs> I bought in nineteen ninety six for three hundred twenty nine thousand, and it's worth over, over a million. Over a million now. Yeah. Right. So there you go. Right, three times. So, I'm from Minnesota. Yeah. And, and what would a million dollar home buy you there? Would you you would buy the half, state. Half the city? Half the state. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's some really nice areas in Minnesota. I'm sure. Very nice areas. Um, but uh, yeah, where I grew up? Yeah. What would. Uh, well, we're, I'm selling my mom's house now. For 220? Uh, uh, oh, no. It's maybe 117. 100, 100. <laughs> probably. <laughs> they probably bought their house for maybe 20 grand. Oh. Well, that's they got it five times. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they right. bought it. Well, I'm I'm in my well, I'm 43, so I was born in that house. So that's 43, and then they my brother is 40. They've lived in that house 50 years. Right. 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 And they probably bought it for 20 grand, and it's worth 100. Right. Yeah. So not that great. Yeah. Well, it's this this not not bad though. Yeah. So, um, but. If you think that, well, I mean, I guess that um, analogy works better in Minnesota than it probably does in Southern well, California. So, <laughs> true, but what about so in this article, Motel Six? Why do they call it Motel Six? Yeah, six dollars a night. What is it now? It depends. You know what? I just went up to Santa Barbara last weekend, and you know what the Motel Six was? And granted, it's a summer weekend in Santa Barbara on a Saturday night, and it was this big festival going on, but it was $290 for a Motel 6. You stayed at a Motel 6 for no. 290 bucks? No, that was that was the cheapest choice. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I stayed in some other dive for about 360 <laughs> but it was, it was better than Motel 6. <laughs> 360 bucks? That's, wow. Yeah. I guess I haven't stayed in a hotel now. Oh. But that's, but that's you know, that was the Viva La Fiesta in Ooh. Santa Barbara. Yeah. You know what they do there? They There's all these vendors. It's it's kind of like walking through Mexico, like Revolucion Street, where you you know you bargain with all this stuff that you want. Like if you want to buy skulls and stuff. You skulls. Know. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> Exactly what I love to you do on buy, the weekends. You can buy plastic ukuleles and skulls and <laughs> a couple other things. Turquoise jewelry, whatever. You got it. Anyway. I can, um, you can tell that you've been working on your Spanish there, too. you got like the, the tongue the, rolls going. Yeah, the, the Let's lose yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the language viva, I love. Viva, viva la fiesta. <laughs> so, but you know that also along the street, there was these all these people with egg cartons everywhere. Egg Open up. I mean, you know, like if you go to Costco, you can get like sixty eggs. Yeah, well, that's what they were. They were egg cartons. They were all the colored, gray in color. All, all col- No, they were all colored eggs, and some were just no, kind of cartons themselves. Cartons were gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not the yellow ones that are started from. Yeah, right. The, the, the gray. more of oh, you're, cardboard. You're still in the cartons. So the yes. card, the carton <laughs> was I'm, gray. I'm trying to get into the mood here on La Valencia Street <laughs> in Santa Barbara, buying skulls well, and turquoise was, jewelry. Well, let's get it right. It was State Street. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so and I just woke up from the La Falette Lata <laughs> hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> they had my coffee. <laughs> so I'm walking through the streets and all these colored eggs in the gray cartons. Yes, thank that you. Help you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and some of them are like, it was like someone just did a little coloring on them, really cheap. You know, those were those are like five for a dollar, four for a dollar. And other ones, these eggs, they were made up like. Pikachu and and characters like Superman and and they're little eggs. They're all dressed up, and you're thinking, what the heck? And then I found out. What's Pikachu? You you haven't uh, you don't have a kid, do you? <laughs> no. So you don't know. <laughs> it was a game that kids played about twenty years ago. Pikachu. 
Pikachu. Yeah. Anyway, it's still big. All I right. Saw a bunch of Pikachus <laughs> running around. Like, what the hell are we talking about, Pikachus? Anyone that has kids that are in the oh, so they 20s. had like the the eggs and the, what they did some arts and crafts around it. Yeah, and so it like, wasn't painted as so, Superman, so, so, but they he had like a little right, cape they, on them. So, some had hats and capes and and just. So how many eggs did you buy? Hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so so, but then. But then, get this. So they drilled the bottom of the egg. Right. They take out all the stuff. Sure. And they put in confetti. Okay. And then you're supposed to you're supposed to then hit the your your friend on the head with the egg, and then confetti goes everywhere. Oh. And so that was kind of fun. So we didn't. So we were walking through town, and and you know we we get by. So there's some are like five bucks each. They're really elaborate. And Ann said, not five not five bucks. Let's get the one that's four for a dollar. So we got the one that was four for a dollar, and I, 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 I cracked it on Ann's head, it and it f- and it didn't break. And she goes, "Ow!" And Robbie goes, "Do it harder." And Ann goes, "No." They, we got the defective got, ones. Yeah, you got the rotten ones. See, you get what you pay for. Man. I guess so. But anyway, I had to crack it on the sidewalk, <laughs> and then I dumped it on her head. <laughs> so that's what we did last weekend. But we did we avoided the Motel Six. I oh, got it. All right. So there's inflation for you. Yeah, that Folks, is inflation. That's, that's our story on inflation. Yes, we only got through one item in this segment. <laughs> we got still got two more. <laughs> Pikachu eggs. Okay. I have a feeling Big Al's list is doomed this week. What do you think? Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a free financial assessment with a certified financial planner and make sure your retirement isn't doomed. How much money will you need? What social security strategies are available to you? How much income can you get from your portfolio? Make sure your retirement strategy is aligned with your retirement goals. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner and stress test your portfolio at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. So I'm doing a list, Joe. Okay. Five mistakes to avoid in retirement. But number four is not planning for long-term care or increased health costs. And I've got this. This is according to the Peterson Center on Healthcare and the Kaiser Family Foundation. They are predicting that health costs are set to increase about five percent annually through 2025. Which healthcare five percent healthcare, and it's actually been more than that up to this point. I guess the point of that though is that. Uh, Inflation for medical care is increasing faster than regular inflation, and that's been going on for a long time. Which it seems, I mean, just being a logical person, that's got to slow down at some point. But it's not, it's not slowed down for years. So I, I don't know when it's going to happen. So anyway, the, these this group, these foundations uh, and center are predicting it's going to continue to increase at five percent. What do we do? Ours seven percent. I thought. Or no, maybe no. We do it. We do it. We do it. Five point seven. Yeah, five point seven. Mm-hmm. I knew there was a seven somewhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah five because we're trying to be on the conservative side. And when you look at fidelity studies, you trust them, right? Fidelity sure. investments, of course. Yeah. So they they look at a, a sixty five year old couple and two hundred fifty grand or yeah, something. Two fifty. It's usually plus or minus ten grand, twenty grand. One All right. Way or so another. what do you think everyone is thinking about? It's like okay, well, healthcare when you get in retirement, it's going to cost you two hundred fifty thousand bucks. And they're thinking, I got a hundred thousand in my account. I got a hundred thousand so saved. So I can't I can't afford even healthcare. Let so alone I can't food. eat. Right. So. <laughs> I'm well, going to need health care because I'm not eating. Yeah, and what, what, what you need to realize is is that would be a cost over time, and you would have sources to fund that, whether it's pensions, Social Security, so, uh, rental income. It's not like you need a lump sum. Right. And, I, and I, every time I read that, that's exactly what I think, and I think that's what everyone else thinks, too. Right. It's like, well, okay, well, here I have X amount of dollars, and now I need another 250000 On top of that? On top of that, just to cover my med- – no, let's see here. Oh, you're if I look at $250,000 divided by a 30-year retirement, okay. what do you think that is? Uh, that's around, what, 5000 a year per person, give or take? I got eight. Eight. Okay, well, 8000 eight for the couple. Yeah, two fifty. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So $8,333.33. Yeah, so I said five per person, that's about 10 That's about pretty 10. close to pretty you. Close. your number for... Quick off the off the cuff. The other thing, Joe, is the cost of long term care, and a lot of people don't realize that Medicare does not cover long term care. That's something you need to cover unless you are completely broke. And then there's Medicaid, 
or Medi-Cal. Or Medi-Cal, that's what I meant to say. Well, Medicaid for our podcast listeners. Yeah. Medi-Cal for our California listeners. Yeah, true. Very good. And this is Genworth, Genworth Cost of Care Survey. So here's what they came up with, uh, the cost of a semi-private room in a nursing home in 2016. Here's what it says. All of your money. (laughs) Just pay it over. We'll take it (laughs) all. Just cut me a check. You know what it says? It says $6,800 per month. That's about $82,000 per year. That's on average. On average, that's they're saying that's the cut. That's the national. That's median, yeah. which means half of them are less, half of them are more. That's the cost of a semi-private. That's not even a. That's like sharing. Yeah, Sem- you get a room. Semi semi-private with means a buddy. You got a curtain. <laughs> <laughs> you got a new best friend. Guess what? Here's the remaining three years of your life with this you guy. Are, this guy that never shuts up. You I, got a curtain. I'm gonna probably. Be- it's costing you a hundred thousand bucks a year. And you are now living with Ralph. <laughs> you can't believe it. Guess what, Ralph? Well, there's one. He's got all sorts of ailments. There's... And guess what, Ralph likes to do? Talk he, about his ailments. He likes to talk about. Yeah. And the, the, oh man. The, the good news. My bunions. The good. <laughs> the good news is you probably pass away quicker. Oh. Because just pull the plug. Miserable. Right. I'm gonna put that in my estate plan. I just got it done. If yeah. I'm ever in a room. With a guy that talks about his ailments. Just say pull the plug. Just pull the plug. Right. Right? And if they, not, if that's going to be my DNR. If they don't pull the plug, you'll pull it yourself. Oh. Or have Ralph do it. Hey! <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Big Ow! I listened to you forever yeah. on the radio. Man, I listened to you back in the day. You were great. But man. Now you're here with me. You got nothing. <laughs> Except 82000 a year. Yeah. Why did you get stuck in a semi-private room? <laughs> I thought you'd be at Ocean View. Private room. Oh, yeah, that's I'm, expensive, man. That's... The... That's that's tough. Well, um, we kid about it, but that should motivate you to at least get a plan, right? Yeah. So I think people so what, what, need to plan for this because so it look, happens to so many people that you know we're living a lot longer. What that means is that some of our body parts are kind of going bad, right? Where <laughs> <laughs> we need help, we need some we need, we need some care. Need some care. We can, they're out of control. <laughs> well, I think a lot of times when advisors talk about long term care. The uh, the individuals that are on the other side of that conversation, they immediately think about long-term care insurance, and then a lot of people tune out because they don't want to get it. So, and, and, of course, that's a way to go, yes, but there's other ways to go, too. So this is um, – here was my training in long-term care insurance. Okay, let's okay? hear it. So this is, I don't know, almost – so this, this and, 15, 17 And, and this is ago. why people don't like to listen to it. <laughs> right. You're, you're, you're going to have to pay 82000 right. a year. Oh, no, <laughs> this is how, like, so this this long-term care specialist, right, comes in, super insurance sales guy, right? right? I mean, you and know then, he's an insurance salesman. He's a sales guy, oh, for sure. Yeah. And so he's like, all right, so you guys need to sell some long-term care insurance. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm like two years in the business. I was like, okay, I don't even know what the hell long-term care insurance is, but I'll, whatever. <laughs> Sounds whatever, good. Whatever you got me, whatever I need to do. Right. So he's like, okay, so this is what you do. So you get the couple, they're in your office, right? And so you got the woman and you got the man. And then you tell the husband, lay down on the ground. I was like, okay. So <laughs> lay down on the ground. Did you do and that? And then you tell the wife, now pick them up. <laughs> pick them up. <laughs> right now. <laughs> right and he goes, it works every time because she can't pick them up. So she needs the insurance. So they need the insurance. And I was like, get me out of this business. How the hell did I get myself caught into this room with this guy? You should have gone into accounting. I should have. That's her respectable. I should have. Well, that's why I'm not a commission sales broker. I guess I, I think we're running out of time, but I just wanted to say it's not just long-term care insurance. Maybe you can self-insure. Maybe you can use the equity in your home. Right? Maybe you've got a spouse that's willing to care for you. Maybe not, right? So there's all kinds of ways. But the point is you need a plan to figure out if this happens to you. Yes. you got to map this thing out and say, all right. And you're not buying long-term care insurance for yourself in a sense, right? You're buying it for your spouse because guess right. what? Let's say you've saved X amount of dollars and all of a sudden you need some care and you're spending $100,000 out of the nest egg per year because of your care. That's going to screw up your spouse. Yeah, retirement. it's going to blow up, yeah. blow right. up um, the, the surviving spouse. Folks, thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll be back again next week with more fun facts about your overall finances. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. 
So to recap today's show, the Department of Labor is proposing to delay the fiduciary rules compliance deadline by 18 months. I guess that gives advisors a year and a half to keep working in their own best interests instead of ours. Okay. And Joe and Big Al had so much fun with Pikachu eggs and the black humor realities of long-term care that they didn't even make it to the fifth mistake to avoid in retirement, which is letting your kids clean up the mess. Make sure your beneficiaries and estate plan are up to date. Special thanks to our guest Larry Swedro for exposing Wall Street marketing around active management and dollar cost averaging for what it is, BS. Search for Larry on ETF.com to read all his latest articles. Subscribe to this podcast at YourMoneyYourWealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email us, info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.